You know, the weird thing about the decapitation strategy is the fact that sometimes the sudden elimination of the top tier of leadership within a short amount of time. And time is of the essence because it's meant to create chaos within these organizations, which lead to infighting and eventually disintegration of a cohesive organization that can no longer effectively control all of its cells, which makes it easier for law enforcement to locate and arrest cartel members. However, in some rare cases, it has led to the opposite scenario, the creation of a cartel far more powerful than anyone could have imagined. In fact, the argument could be made that the kingpin strategy only made it easier for CJNG to recruit orphan cells of gunmen. And on top of that, you get rid of a set of leaders that used violence only when needed, only for them to be replaced by people like El 85, El Mencho, and El Garra, just pure savages. savages. On September 20, 2011, at around 7.30 in the morning, two cargo trucks suddenly stopped in the middle of a busy underpass that runs through the Veracruz city of Boca del Rio. Armed men descended and formed a perimeter. The other gunmen, who were all wearing black tactical uniforms, then started to unload body after body from the trucks. The trucks and the mutilated bodies were left in the middle of the roadway, along with a message. A new group was announcing its presence in Veracruz. At the time, they called themselves Los Matacetas, but soon the world would become familiar with the name Cartel Jalisco, New Generation, or CJNG for short. The people that were tortured and killed were picked up at random by municipal police and handed over to the Mataceta cell. The police were under orders to pick up local Zeta members, so they grabbed anyone they could and lied to their cartel bosses about their affiliations. This is just one incident, a savagery, that has cemented CJNG as one of the most brutal cartels operating today in Mexico and beyond. The core of the CJNG began as a faction of the Millennial Cartel. They emerged from the ashes of an internal war that would end up destroying one faction and at the same time propel the CJNG to the top of the international criminal underworld. They dominate vast areas of Mexico with pure brutality. The cartel ships massive amounts of synthetic drugs to feed the growing appetite for meth and fentanyl. A ruthless pursuit of new plazas would bring the bloodshed and brutality to a new level. Even the government is not safe from the wrath of arguably one of the most violent trafficking organizations that has ever existed in Mexico or elsewhere. CJNG can trace its roots back to Michoacán, back to the Millennial Cartel. The Millennial Cartel was led by the Valencia family. They had deep roots in the criminal underworld going back to the 70s. The Millennial Cartel dominated in Michoacán and other states throughout Mexico. It was in this organization that the future leaders of the CJNG would learn how cartel business works. El Mencho, Eric Salazar, and Los Queenies all rose through the ranks of the Millennial Cartel. Ruben Oseguera Cervantes, better known as El Mencho, was born on July 17, 1966, in Aguililla, Michoacán. The family struggled and like many in the community, they were farmers. The young Mencho realized there was no future in legitimate work, at least not where he was from. He began in the drug industry in the early 80s. He was a teenager when he took a job guarding a marijuana field. After about a year, he immigrated to the U.S in search of success, like every other immigrant with dreams of fortune. But unlike most immigrants, Mencho embraced the underworld. He began pushing meth in San Francisco. He was making enough for a street-level dealer, but the easy money came with plenty of rest throughout his time dealing in California. It was during this period that he married his girlfriend, Rosalinda Valencia, 
Her brother, Abigail, was also involved in the drug game. Abigail and Mencho would grow close, and they would often collaborate on certain deals. In 1992, Mencho and his brother Abraham were busted on drug charges. The brothers were involved in a heroin deal with two undercover agents. In order to save his brother from a possible life sentence, Mencho took a guilty plea and was sentenced to five years. He ended up serving out his sentence in Texas, and in 1997, Mencho was deported to Mexico. It wasn't his first time. He was deported before for drug cases, but this time, it would be for good. Mencho makes his way back to Michoacan, and soon after, he gets a job as a Jalisco state policeman. After a couple years, Mencho leaves the force to join the Millennial Cartel full-time. Mencho began working as a hitman and would eventually lead his own enforcement cell. During the early 2000s, the Millennial Cartel was an ally of another Michoacan-based organization. Back then, it was known as La Empresa, but years later, it would rename itself La Familia Michoacana. Carlos Rosales Mendoza, aka El Disico, was the original leader of La Empresa. He and the Millennial Cartel were on good terms. They collaborated and generally kept the peace in their areas of influence. They were so close, in fact, that Rosales ended up in a relationship with El Mencho's cousin, Ines. But that blood relation would soon end the alliance between the Millennial Cartel and La Empresa. Mencho's cousin, who by now was Rosales' wife and mother of his son, began an affair with the leader of the Millennial Cartel, who at the time was Armando Valencia. The two began a secret relationship, and soon Inez had left Rosales and was now with Rosales' former friend and collaborator Armando, leader of the Millennial Cartel. Word spread that Inez was fooling around and with none other than the boss of the other most powerful cartel in Michoacan. People in the know braced for a war that was about to be unleashed. On February 18, 2002, a hit squad opened fire on Jorge Valencia and his bodyguards as they were passing by a mall in the city of Morelia. The hit team mistakenly killed Jorge, the younger brother of Armando. They mistook him for his older brother. From then on, it was all-out war between the former allies. La Empresa, however, had one major advantage. Over the last couple years, Rosales had developed a close friendship with golf cartel boss, Osier Cardenas Guillén. The golf cartel bought marijuana from La Empresa, and they also had begun to send their feared Zetas hitmen down to Michoacan with the task of training their Michoacan allies in paramilitary tactics. When the war began between the two Michoacan organizations, the Gulf Cartel took the side of La Empresa and sent over 200 Zeta gunmen to Michoacan with the goal of helping La Empresa win the war against the Millennial Cartel. The Zetas were successful. They killed several Valencia family members. The Millennial Cartel could not withstand attacks from two groups, so the rest of the Valencia Millennial leadership fled to Jalisco to avoid the Zeta hit squads that were targeting Valencia family members and the rest of the Millennial Cartel. Jalisco and especially Guadalajara had long been the stomping ground for Millennial Cartel bosses. In 2003, Armando Valencia is captured by federal agents. Around the same time, the Gulf Cartel began closing up the Millennial Cartel's routes that ran through Tamaulipas, especially the Nuevo Laredo crossing. With the route slowly being choked off by the Golfos, members dead, and being pushed out of most of Michoacan, the Millennial Cartel felt pressured to seek an alliance with the Sinaloa Cartel. Nacho Coronel was a Sinaloa Cartel boss that began working with the Millennial Organization. The Millennial Cartel had to share the Guadalajara Plaza with Nacho's crew. The Millennial Cartel began coordinating and transporting Sinaloa Cartel cocaine shipments that arrived on the Pacific Coast. They needed the Sinaloa Cartel routes and border plazas in order to ship their drug loads north since their Tamaulipas route 
was now closed. In 2005, El Mancho was actually captured by his rivals in Michoacán. Mencho and two other gunmen were in Apatzingán on business when they were kidnapped by seven sicarios working for La Familia Michoacana. The story goes that El Mencho managed to convince El Chango Vargas, one of the main leaders of La Familia. El Chango spared El Mencho's life, but at the time was still an up-and-coming trafficker. By 2006, the Millennial Cartel had mostly abandoned Michoacán. Most members settled in Guadalajara after their defeat at the hands of La Familia Michoacana and their allies. Around the same time, La Empresa rebranded itself La Familia Michoacana and went to war against their former allies, the Zetas, who they managed to kick out. Mencho was now head of security for Oscar Nava Valencia, who was known as El Lobo, the Wolf, and who was now the boss of the Millennial Cartel. The Millennials resented working for the Sinaloa Cartel. The Millennial Organization had been sending drugs north and to Europe since the 90s, but now they were down and had to accept the situation. In 2007, federal agents raided a mansion in an exclusive residential area of Mexico City. The property belonged to Zen Li Yi Gan. Gan was the owner of United Farm Chem Mexico, a pharmaceutical company that imported huge amounts of pseudoephedrine for the manufacture of various drugs. However, the Mexican government suspected Gan was the main supplier of ephedrine to the Millennial Cartel, which operated numerous meth super labs in the countryside of Michoacán and Colima. The Millennial Organization began to have second thoughts about their new partners. It all boiled down to profits. They felt they were already an established group, trafficking massive amounts of coke before the Sinaloans arrived, and now they were transporting Sinaloa drug loads without seeing an increase in profits for themselves. The tension resulted in a heated argument between El Lobo Valencia and Nacho Coronel in the summer of 2009. The argument was about profits and who really controlled Jalisco. The confrontation almost got physical, but they were held back before it came to that. In any case, the union between the Sinaloa cartel and the Millennial Organization was coming to an end. A few months later, El Lobo Valencia is captured by Army Special Forces while visiting a marijuana plantation. After a shootout, El Lobo and his bodyguards are apprehended. Seven months later, his brother Juan, El Tigre Valencia, is also captured. This event, along with the death of Nacho Coronel, led to chaos within the leadership of the Millennial Cartel. The internal pecking order pointed to Elpidio Elpilo Ramirez to assume control of the organization. Out of all the leaders, out of all the leaders, Elpilo had the most experience and was El Lobo's right hand for the longest. These events caused a rift between two factions within the Millennial Cartel. On one side was Ramiro El Molca Gonzalez, Gerardo Decato Mendoza, and other capos that recognized El Pilo as the natural successor to lead the organization. On the opposite side was Eric Valencia and Los Queenies faction. They backed El Mencho to lead the cartel. To add fuel to the fire, El Pilo and his team blamed El Mencho and Nacho Coronel for giving up El Lobo and his brother to the government. They refused to take orders from El Mencho and the Sinaloans. El Mencho sent word to Tecato to surrender to the new leadership or face the consequences. So what does Tecato do? Bow down? A Michoacano? On May 10th, 2010, El Tecato sent Mencho his answer. His gunmen kidnapped and executed several of Mencho's sicarios in the city of Tecoman. Mencho didn't waste time in answering the declaration of war. His sicarios kidnapped and killed almost 40 members of El Pilos and El Tecato's organization. In May 2010, the Millennial Civil War began. El Pilo and El Moca's faction 
were now calling themselves La Resistencia. El Mancho's side were known as Los Torcidos at first, but then soon after, Nacho Coronel was unexpectedly killed by the military in Zapopan. El Mancho traveled to Sinaloa and met with the top bosses. He wanted their support and agreed to share the plaza with Sinaloa. What Eric and Mancho didn't realize was that Nacho's own cartel associates that gave the green light for the government to capture Nacho. The reason being is that Chapo and El Mayo were made aware that Nacho Coronel was planning on striking out on his own, together with El Mencho and Eric Valencia. If it were not for the betrayal, Nacho would almost certainly have gone on to join what would become the CJNG of today. Soon after the meeting in Sinaloa in August 2010, Cartel Jalisco Nueva Generación is established. La Resistencia and CJNG would go on to fight an especially brutal war, massacres, beheadings, numerous kidnappings exploded in Jalisco between the two groups. Feeling a bit overwhelmed, La Resistencia sought allies to help them defeat their enemy. They briefly formed a short-lived alliance with the Gulf Cartel and La Familia Michoacana. During the war, Eric Valencia formed and led a paramilitary group known as Matacetas or Zeta Killers. By mid-2012, it was beginning to sink in that the war was going badly for La Resistencia. They were losing to CJNG. Ultimately, the CJNG won because they had more support from Sinaloa. They also bribed high-level commanders and government officials. And on top of that, CJNG hired mercenaries from Colombia and Israel to train their sicarios. Even to this day, CJNG employs skilled combatants from Colombia to fight and also train their forces. The final nail in the coffin of La Resistencia was when El Molca was finally captured by federal police. In September 2012, La Resistencia was no more. El Pilo went on to traffic his own drug shipments. The rest of the organization joined the CJNG or scattered to other places. CJNG was now the new player in Jalisco, with some of the same characters from the millennial days, but a completely different organization. You can't talk about the rise of CJNG without talking about Los Guinis. His family clan made up of 18 siblings and led by Abigail Valencia Gonzalez has sent more cocaine shipments to Europe and Australia than any other Mexican cartel in recent times. When the CJNG was established, Los Guinis focused on trafficking and selling cocaine in Europe and Asia. The coke was shipped to African countries like Guinea-Bissau, Senegal, and Mauritania, then smuggled into Spain. From there, the shipment can move freely within the European Union without problems. Los Guinis made Europe their main market for their coke. They realized going up against more established organizations in the US and having conflict early on was not feasible. For several years, Los Guinis worked under the radar of authorities, who mistakenly believed that Los Guinis were just money launderers for CJNG, or at least that is a story the US and Mexico put out. Partnership between CJNG and Los Guinis was successful and grew even closer. Even though Edmencho was already married to Rosalinda Valencia, the sister of Abigail Valencia, CJNG expanded quickly. Within six months of winning the war, they had won over plazas on both coasts. They expanded east and took over the old millennial network and began shipping meth into Europe and the US. Unlike their partners, Los Guinis, who preferred to move in silence and remain under the radar, the CJNG went out of their way to attract people's attention with their gruesome execution videos and by leaving mutilated body parts in public for everyone to see. A warning to show what would happen to anyone that went against El Mencho and his organization. By 2012, Mencho was in the middle of clearing out Guadalajara of independent traffickers. Then he went after Sinaloa cartel members in the city. When he pushed out Sinaloa cartel members in Jalisco, he began to probe into Sinaloa state itself. However, the Sinaloa cartel was able to block 
block Menchel's advance into their territory. The war fizzled out for the time being, but there was always tension between the two cartels from then on. Everything was going smoothly when suddenly in March 2014, a federal grand jury indicted Los Guinis organization. The group had been under investigation by the DEA for the past year. The first to fall was Abigail. He was captured by Mexican naval special forces while he was having a meeting with Venezuelan and Colombian partners at a restaurant in Puerto Vallarta. That day, he had only one bodyguard, an Israeli ex-special forces soldier. Abigail offered the soldiers $3 million to not show his face to the cameras. The soldiers ignored the offer. Ever since then, Los Queenies have faced the loss of leadership due to arrest. However, they are still able to operate even behind bars. One of the reasons CJNG has been able to expand rapidly and push out rivals from their plazas is their paramilitary structure and training, especially for bodyguards of the leadership of the cartel and also their shock troops, known as Grupo Elite. CJNG would make 2015 its most deadliest year up to that point. First, they ambushed the state police convoy, making its way through a country road. Gunmen had camped near the site for more than a day, waiting for the convoy to pass. The state police trucks made their way down the highway, when suddenly, they came across a burnt-out car blocking its way. The convoy stopped, and that's when CJNG attacked. They pinned down cops with machine gun fire and grenade launchers. Fifteen cops were killed in the bloodbath, the deadliest day for Mexican law enforcement in about a decade. CJNG suffered no casualties. The ambush cost the lives of 15 members of the state police. It was retaliation for the killing of Eduero by state authorities in a recent raid. But what really caught people's attention was the day CJNG knocked down a government helicopter during a massive operation meant to decapitate cartel leadership in the early morning hours. With sunlight still a couple hours away, federal agent Ivan Morales boarded one of five military helicopters that were waiting at the Colima Airport. He joined more than a dozen soldiers aboard the aircraft that were about to take off for a secret mission, although they weren't told who or what was the target until the last minute. Only later were they told who the target was. They were going after El Mencho. A few days earlier, intelligence agents on the ground alerted headquarters. They believed Mencho was moving around in a specific area of Jalisco. Government forces quickly mobilized for a planned raid to capture the elusive drug lord. At least, that was the plan. Going quick under the cover of darkness and snatch up El Mencho. But what nobody knew was that Mencho was waiting for them. He knew they were coming to get him. He received a warning from one of his federal contacts on his payroll. Mencho prepared his troops and waited for the Federales to arrive. Aircraft surveillance of the area revealed a suspected CJNG convoy moving through a country road. A ground force was sent to intercept them. A convoy of helicopters traveled to the area in order to support the ground force up ahead. Unfortunately for the agents and soldiers on board, CJNG gunmen were waiting. As soon as the first three soldiers began to rappel down, the sicarios opened up with everything they had, which included machine guns, 50 caliber rifles, and the weapon that ultimately brought the aircraft down, an RPG launcher. The first first casualties were the pilot. He was hit with automatic fire. Then almost immediately the first three soldiers that repelled down were also hit with machine gun fire. And then several sicarios raised their rocket launchers. Six rounds were fired. All but two shots missed. The helicopter came crashing down in a ball of fire. Agent Morales and a couple others survived the ambush. 
although Agent Morales was burned over 70% of his body. The other helicopters fired on the group of gunmen, killing nine sicarios. The ambush and the chaos that erupted when CJNG gunmen began stealing large vehicles in order to leave them burning on major highways and roads with the goal of slowing down government reinforcements. The problem with CJNG is that they never developed a sophisticated way of dividing and conquering their enemies. Their way was similar to the Zetas. You work for us, or we dismember you. And as the leader of a local group of a few people with limited weapons and training, you take the road that's going to keep you alive and able to make money. So aligning with CJNG was a smart thing to do. Their expansion has led them to battle against several diverse groups of traffickers. In Michoacan, CJNG is struggling to displace El Abuelo Farias and Los Viagras in this case, it's also because the military in Michoacán is actively helping Los Viagras and El Abuelo in their war against CJNG, not to downplay their impact on their enemies. In one particular case, a massacre that was swept under the rug by the state government happened in April near La Huerta. The story goes that a combined Viagras and military convoy of a nearby unit made their way into the town of El Limoncito. The local CJNG group flood. They decided not to engage the military, who were allies of Los Viagras. Los Viagras entered the town, and they looted homes, businesses, and anything they could carry. Well, after they were satisfied with their victory, they made their way to a ranch on the outskirts of town. That night, Los Viagras, high off their victory, and also drugs, got drunk and fell asleep. It would turn out to be a deadly mistake on their part because hours earlier after they had left the town and after the last military unit returned to their base, CJNG units returned to the town. The locals alerted them to the location of Los Viagras. CJNG reinforcements arrived and set off to hunt the enemy. Los Viagras were caught sleeping. Some were shot immediately. Others were burned alive. The massacre was at first denied by Los Viagras on social media, but then the images confirmed what happened. The incident was swept under the rug because it highlights government corruption. Somehow the fact that an entire military unit is in league with a criminal organization did not make headlines. In Guanajuato, CJNG CJNG has had more success fighting against El Marro, and together with a security operation implemented by the government, Cartel Santa Rosa de Lima has battled for the state of Guanajuato for the last couple of years against El Mencho. El Marro and his organization used to make most of their money by stealing huge amounts of fuel from pipelines throughout the state. El Marro's organization, known as Cartel Santa Rosa de Lima, has taken such a huge beating that it may never recover. The organization was founded in 2014. It was a CJNG cell that decided to break off and go independent. It was dedicated to the theft of gas and oil. They also extorted businesses. During the war, a GoPro worn by one of Emaro's sicarios captured footage that went viral. The moment they attack a CJNG affiliated mechanic shop, the video shows the brazen attack with sicarios running into the shop and executing everyone at point blank range with assault rifles. For Emaro, the end is coming faster than he thought. In June 2020, Emaro's mother sister and niece were among 26 people arrested in Celaya that were members of his cartel. He has retreated to Celaya and the few sicarios that remain with him are making their last stand and their last remaining piece of territory. El Marro recently released a video where he is visibly emotional. He accuses the government of abusing its power. He also says he's willing to ally with any cartel willing to help him fend off CJNG. In Guerrero, CJNG is involved in probably one of the most gruesome conflicts in recent 
recent times. The battlefield involves local groups that so far have kept CJNG from taking over the entire state. CJNG has been in Guerrero for at least six years and controlling the far western area and along the Pacific coast in cities such as Cihuatanajo as well as those that border Michoacán and the Lazaro Cardenas area. The interior is contested by various groups. In Guerrero, they fight with Los Rojos, Sida, and Guerreros Unidos, and especially, and especially, La Nueva Familia, La Nueva Familia Michoacana. CJNG and NFM, CJNG and Nueva Familia are locked in a brutal war that has produced some of the most gruesome propaganda videos of the war in Guerrero, and much like the war between Zetas and Gulf Cartel in Tamaulipas, both CJNG and Nueva Familia Michoacana use monstro trucks, which are large trucks that have been armored. They are used to spearhead attacks and raids into enemy territories. The war has also involved confrontations in remote areas involving hundreds of sicarios. In Jalisco itself, CJNG battles against one of its former commanders, El Cholo. He broke off after he killed a high-level money launderer without permission from Edmencho. So he breaks off and names his new group Cartel Nueva Plaza. They fight for ownership of certain areas west of Guadalajara and the outskirts. Recently though, a truce between the two sides may be in place. Something that distinguishes CJNG from other cartels is their paramilitary force. CJNG not only has access to all types of sophisticated small arms, but they also have the ability to manufacture their own weapons. Unlike most cartels, they usually buy rifles sent from various sources. The cartel manufactures firearms and accessories using expensive CNC machines and hidden weapons factories that attach grenade launchers and customize firearms. On August 15, 2016, an event that would shake the criminal underworld took place in Puerto Vallarta. The setting was the trendy restaurant La Leche, Spanish for milk. The large group of well-dressed people that showed up at the restaurant included six men and nine women. The group arrived in several luxury SUVs. Three of the men were Alfredo Guzman, Ivan Alchivarlo, and Cesar Guzman. They were in town to celebrate Ivan's birthday. There was only one bodyguard present. As they celebrated the event, over a dozen CJNG sicarios rushed into the restaurant. They quickly subdued the lone bodyguard and made the men kneel with their hands atop their heads. Inside, close to 16 sicarios took control of the Guzmans, but the group of attackers was in total some 50 armed men. Another of the Guzman brothers, Ovidio, was not at the party, but he was in Puerto Vallarta, and he had opted to stay at the Marriott Hotel, where all the brothers had been staying. The reunion at La Leche was for the birthday of Ivani Archivaldo on the 15th of August. The reunion at La Leche was for the birthday of Ivan on the 15th of August, and he had arranged for friends and family to attend, some 16 in number. After a few minutes, the gunmen took Los Chapitos and the others onto waiting SUVs and sped off. Ivan's family, the top brass of the Sinaloa cartel, and then Mayo Zambada went into action. They held an emergency meeting on a ranch in Sinaloa. What happened was that Damaso Lopez, who at the time was still active in the cartel, secretly paid Los Bayos, a faction of the CJNG, to kidnap and kill Los Chapitos. Mencho knew about the plan and went along with it. However, Sinaloa cartel operatives kidnapped and Mencho's son, Menchito, while he was in prison. Eventually, Los Chapitos were released unharmed. Los Bayo were later executed by CJNG after they went rogue and started extorting on their own. A CJNG hit squad rolled into their area, rounded up most of the members, 
and killed them. The possibility of a massive war between the Sinaloa cartel and CJNG played a part in the decision to release the brothers. But the other reason was his son Menchito. Menchito was in the Menchito was in the hands of Sinaloa cartel assassins inside the prison. At any moment, they were able to kill Menchito if ordered to. Tension within CJNG in the Puerto Vallarta area resulted in a purge of some of the old guard bosses that had been ignoring direct orders from top-level CJNG commanders, in particular Gonzalo Mendoza Gaitan El Sapo. The problem of the rogue cells was taken care of by one of CJNG's most ruthless commanders known as La Firma. He's originally from Colombia and led a hit squad that killed most of the rogue cell that operated in Puerto Vallarta. He has since been implicated in the brazen attack on Mexico City's police chief in June 2020, where more than two dozen sicarios participated in the attack using brand new and expensive weapons. A testament to the ability of CJNG to easily get a hold powerful weapons and coordinate a strike in the heart of the capital. CJNG has managed to keep order and expand at the same time. El Mencho is known to be disciplined. He doesn't get high and rarely drinks. He exercises daily or whenever he can. He is also known to love the sport of cockfighting. It is not uncommon for Mencho to place bets of more than 100k on matches. CJNG's goal is to control Michoacán, Guerrero, and as many border crossings as possible. They still have not been able to take Tijuana and Juarez as they need alliances with the local group that controls the plaza. However, they are choosing to take a path towards total domination of the strategic border crossings if things go to plan. Unless, of course, El Mencho is killed or captured, but knowing how Mencho operates and his use of extreme violence, such an event points to a guaranteed shootout. If Mencho is killed, Eric Valencia would most likely take over as boss. Eric is just as violent as El Mencho. He led the death squad, Matacetas, back in the days when they were still taking orders from the Sinaloa cartel bosses. Recently, Mencho's daughter was arrested when she appeared in a U.S. court in support of her brother Menchito. The family is deeply involved in the drug trade, so much so that Mencho's female relatives launder and help manage profits. Just recently, a massive U.S. operation meant to disrupt CJNG networks in the U.S took down a large number of cartel operators. But even with all this pressure by the authorities, CJNG keeps operating and then Mencho stays one step ahead of the law.